The Supreme Court took the week off. Apparently, working five days this month really took its toll. Yeah, they need a vacation from that grueling five-day work month. But that doesn't mean that there wasn't legal news. The acting Solicitor General told the Supreme Court it will allow torture victims to testify as long as the government gets to pre-vet the testimonies, you know, so they can exclude things that they don't like. What would you, do you want to go ahead and testify for them, government? Will that make your life easier? So don't get all excited, Woodward and Bernstein. I doubt we're going to get any kind of Watergate type of admissions here. Court packing is back in the news. And surprise, it's political. And finally, in our courtroom quarterback session, Chris and I unpack my brilliant picks and why I am now 20 and 10 on the betting odds. That's right. Open up your checkbooks. I am on fire. Plus, we'll talk about how Coach Hoodie is a McCheater. We have a lot to unpack in this week's debriefing of the law. Welcome to this week's edition of Debriefing the Law. I am Joel Oster. I am Chris Marone, and I'm here for week three. This is awesome. And Chris, you are calling us because you are a trooper from the Capitol uh, building, right? You're there in Washington, D.C.? Yes, I am. I am actually overlooking the White House from where I am sitting right now. Because you are supposed to be, I think you're meeting with Biden to kind of fix things there in the current administration. Is that right? 100%. I'm actually going to be the one who's deciding this whole Supreme Court justices issue. So you're lucky to have me on the podcast. <laughs> hey, you know what? We go right to the top and we get the best. <laughs> and we're right there in D.C. We're going to fix things. Uh, and so I, I assume if you're looking out your window, you don't see an elderly, elderly person just roaming the streets around the White House complex. Kind of silverish gray hair. You don't see any wanderers, do you? I, there's one, he's surrounded by seven or eight young strapping gentlemen in suits. So that right. may be, it looks like he's trying to pick apples from trees there that don't exist at the white house. Hey, just point him in the direction back to the front door. All's going to be okay. Uh, no, Hey, yep. uh, we have a interesting, this past week, the Supreme court, they, Ooh, they took center. the week off. They, they took the they week did. off this last week. Apparently, they already worked five days this term, this month, five <laughs> days. That's too much. They needed to take some time off because they wore themselves out. They're not used to having to get up in the morning and drive into work. And so, but hey, we still have things to talk about because the Supreme Court was in the news and you're out there in D.C. So let's uh, break it down. I, I sound like some kind of old rapper. Do you know who said that? Break it down for me, fellas. Oh, uh, is that you wrong, Cam? I don't know. I'm thinking of Tone Loke, but I could be way off on that. Maybe MC Hammer. I have no idea. No. Young move. MC in Bust a Move. That's who's young that's MC. Where it was? All right. That's right. See, I am culturally Internet relevant. is strong here across from the White House. I have a quick connection to the Googles. <laughs> hey, hey, to the FBI people who are listening, good to have that's you right. on our podcast today. Welcome to our podcast. Feel free to speak <laughs> up whenever you like. In fact, we're going to talk about you here first thing. <laughs> U.S. v. Zubeda. Uh, we've talked about yeah. this case in the past. This is a case the Supreme Court took up a couple of weeks ago involving clandestine, alleged clandestine alleged. activities. Sorry, FBI officials there. Actually, alleged. I don't think it's alleged. No, I, I don't think it is alleged because they put it in the complaint that he was at a CIA black site, that they were doing things, and that was the whole point, right? They wanted to talk about what activities they were doing. Interesting. So we're going to so go ahead and it's not alleged put... clandestine. It's okay. clandestine activities. Good. All right. So I can say that without fear of, 
I uh, you know, breached some protocol. My got checked with my attorney on whether or not I should have said that, but it was <laughs> clandestine activity. So uh, I believe it's a Tom Clancy, John Clancy, whatever his name is, going to be writing a, a novel about this. Uh, he was a prisoner of war and, or a prisoner there, a detainee. And the mm-hmm. question is, should he have been detained? It looks like he was detained under false ID. He wasn't who they thought he was. So he was just an innocent right. dude who was detained. And as the Supreme Court justices said it wasn't clandestine activities it was torture that they did to him well he filed a lawsuit saying that hey look i want to sue you for wrongful imprisonment and for the torture everything that i experienced but the uh the government said no you 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 can't sue us and you can't depose us uh or information on that actually this is something that took place in poland so the issue in this case was whether you could force you know, the, the, the military, you know, the people who are in the know, the, the state secret people to give out information about alleged clandestine activities. Well, that was the, the case USB Zubeda. Well, at the, mm-hmm. during the end of oral argument, uh, I believe it was Gorsuch who came up and said, Hey, I have an idea. We're not going to let you, you know, depose certain officials about what's going on, but why don't you just allow the person himself, Abu Zubaydah, testify as to what happened. And Justice Sonia Sotomayor said, hey, I like that idea. And, and so they wanted a response from the, the U.S. Um, the Solicitor General. And so right. uh, Acting Solicitor General came back with a response this last week. And so he said, okay, we will allow him to testify with some serious strings attached and those strings right. that were attached would be number one it's not like a deposition that you and i would take it would be a an affidavit a declaration and they would yes. have to then take that declaration and get it pre-approved and vetted by the government to make sure no national secrets secrets were being disclosed so any thoughts about the letter sent by fletcher the acting uh, solicitor general on the zubeda case Look, I know that I'm not the world's foremost expert on terrorism law or how this is going to work, but I think it's crap. I, I personal opinion, Chris Marone coming through is that if the government gets to determine, and I'm using air quotes, what is or is not state secrets, they could just black out his entire affidavit and say, they no, could. it was all state secrets. It's all state secrets. He doesn't get to do any of this. And that denies if, if as a criminal defendant, you don't have to testify against yourself. So one, they're making him write up something that tells everything that happened. So in essence, they're forcing him to testify against himself. And two, they get to determine what testimony comes in or doesn't come in before the court. All of that hits all the hairs on the back of my neck saying, this is not what it should be doing. Like, I understand that if the judges take it, you know, in blanc and it's not made public, but the judges get to see it, that's another thing, right? But to to allow the government to go, we determine what state secrets is, we'll determine whether or not what he puts in there is state secrets, really doesn't give me a lot of faith that he's getting a fair and unbiased trial. It, trial. it does seem to rub us the wrong way when we hold certain mm-hmm. rights of being a U.S. citizen near and dear to our hearts, like the things mm-hmm. about privilege against the self-incrimination, you don't have to testify against yourself, certain due process right. rights, like if you're going to be detained, it's only going to be for a short period of time, you have a right to a speedy trial, so these years. things can be resolved quickly. 
and, and we say these things belong to us as U.S. citizens. Well, we're also not that arrogant. Many of us think that these right. are also God-given rights. It's right there in the Declaration of Independence. We have these rights that are God-given. The government is there to protect those rights. They don't give us these rights. So they would belong to other people as well, not just U.S. citizens, since we believe these rights are, are really for everyone. And so right. just because this person is not a U.S. citizen, is that good enough for the government to say, nah, we can detain you for 20, 25 years. We can torture you, in the words of the Supreme Court justices, as they ask questions. Right. It was torture. Uh, just because you're not a U.S. citizen, is that okay? On the other hand, I definitely see the benefit of allowing the government to defend our borders, to protect ourselves. I, I don't want that job. You know, Chris, right. I think they made a movie of that. Uh, do you remember a certain movie about some good men? That's it. A few good men. And you can't was, handle a few good men. <laughs> you can't handle three. So, yeah, you had Lieutenant Kathy and Colonel Jessup. I believe it was, Colonel Jessup was Jack Nicholson's character. Yep. Is that right? Yeah. Correct. So, look, you that don't want to know what I do. You just want to thank us you for the need job. You me on that wall. Yeah. Exactly. And, and so, you know, I don't want to second guess the manner in which they defend our country, but Right. Well, no, that's, that's what we're going to do. We're going to second guess it. That's uh, exactly we, what we're lawyers. Right. That's what lawyers do. We second guess how the country is defended. Yeah. And, and so I, I, there is a, a part of us as human beings that say these rights are God given. God just doesn't favor Americans. God favors everyone. Uh, right. You know, I don't, I'm, I'm not here to talk theology, but you get the idea. You know, God is no, not totally a U.S. citizen. It. And so, you know, I have a problem with the fact this guy was tortured for 20, 25 years. And I've seen enough uh, Tom Glancy novels and movies. I'm wondering, did we really need to torture him for 20, 25 years? Uh, do we, how soon do we know that he was the wrong person and we should let him go? I don't know. Uh, and so, hey, the, the, the government did say, look, we will allow for him to answer these questions. You are not giving the government the benefit of the doubt. I'm going to give the government the benefit of the doubt here. I'm going to think the government will allow for his testimony, his declaration to contain the relevant information. They'll just block out things like, hey, this Names, is the exact dates, torture places. method. Right. Th things like that. Right. Yeah. Also in the news last week, and I know this is uh, going to get your attention up here. Hopefully we'll find some right. reasons to disagree. I don't know. But Maybe. there was a news out of uh, of Washington about court packing. Uh, and so oh, always I, I am a big opponent of court packing. I agree with RBG. I agree with Breyer and every other liberal justice on the Supreme Court that says this is a horrible idea. But as you and I both know, it's also politics. And whenever politics get involved, the um, people tend to take sides. Chris, I think if we even politicized Christmas, people would take sides over Christmas. Mm -hmm. who, who could be upset with Christmas? But they would if you politicized it. And so here we're talking hey, about. Joel, I'm very upset about a fat white guy that I don't know breaking into my house to leave me gifts that I didn't ask for. Okay. I am, I am, I am, I am anti-Santa. Okay. Anti-Santa. I, I have heard that uh, being said this year that, you know, Hey, if you don't have <laughs> enough money for Christmas, now's the time to tell your kids that, Hey, sorry, but, uh, uh, yeah, Santa didn't make it. He didn't make it through this, but best uh, story ever. Elf on the shelf murdered Santa. I'm digging this. Wow. That is a, that, that is horrendous. Um, uh, I, I, Christmas is my second favorite time of the year, right after Easter. 
And I also got to yes. put in there Thanksgiving. I do love Christmas. Oh my gosh, uh, I love Thanksgiving so much. The reason why I like Thanksgiving over Christmas is is there's not the pressure and stress of gift buying that dominates the Christmas yes. season. Now, I know the true meaning of the Christmas season, so we don't have to rehash that. But it's still, <laughs> we, we like to give gifts to people during Christmas, and there's a lot of pressure you know, is it? In, is there money in the budget for these gifts? Will they like these gifts? Or are kids even under you know appreciate them? Or will they be like right. you know horrible little kids who just are, are greed monsters? Not not my kids. Uh, you mm -hmm. know, so there's a lot of stress that comes with Christmas. Uh, how how do we get off topic here? We're talking about politicizing Christmas and how much we I are. do love Thanksgiving. But the issue here is um, packing. Everyone is who seems like everyone who has a half a brain is in agreement. Court packing is a horrendous idea. It's going to destroy the legitimacy of the court. But there was this report, this the draft of the report that's being worked on. Chris, do you have any thoughts about the draft of this report as it relates to court packing? And by the way, I didn't give the the listeners a, a synopsis of what this draft said. It basically said nothing. So, hey, look, we, there's a lot of disagreement, a lot of people on both sides of the fence, and that's kind of where we are. Right. And I felt, you know who I really feel bad for in all of this is the Who's commissioners. That? The commissioners well, that are sitting on this panel. Why is that? Well, first off, everybody with half a brain, the United States has proven that when you give people an open mic, they are only going to say the stupidest things humanly possible on all sides of this. Yes, there were some intelligent conversations. I tried to pick up some of it, um, some of the live testimony the other day listening to it, and it was just people... People assumed that the commission was making the law at that right. moment. Like, like people were there trying to get all this stuff ready, and they're like, no, you're making decisions. And the commissioner, um, Commissioner Bauer, had to keep saying... This is not the lawmaking process. We're just taking in ideas and public comment. We want to hear what you have to say. This is a fact-finding mission at this point. Like, give us your ideas and your thoughts about court packing. And people were losing their mind, like, how this is a communist nation, or it's a socialist nation, or we're destroying capitalism, or it's just, it was absolutely insane. So I felt bad for the commissioners, uh, and, and I kind of didn't because most of them are law professors and those people are the most overinflated ego having people that I've ever met in my <laughs> right, entire right. life. So as bad as I felt for sitting through listening to them get berated, I'm all, also you're a law professor. So you need to get kicked in the teeth every once in a while. Right, right. Well, um, let me read this from the draft. Ahead. It says this. The risk of court expansion are considerable, including very. that it could undermine the very goal of some of its proponents of restoring the court's legitimacy. Now, even that statement right. there, I thought, is a loaded statement. What do you mean restoring the court's legitimacy? Uh, are you well, saying the because court is it not was, legitimate? I think a lot of people have called into the legitimacy of the process of the court because of the Merrick Garland confirmation from back in 2016, right? But the court's still legitimate. Not when you hold out a justice from being elected because it's an election year from a political party. And then four years later, like ramrod through Amy Comey Barrett because it's an election year in a political party. Like well, that, the perception gonna... is that... It's not legitimate because of Mitch McConnell's actions. But if you want to go there, then why don't you back up to Borking, uh, Judge Bork, when he started to really put politics in to the right. confirmation process. And it seems like since then, people are just following the rules. As those rules advantage that particular side, are, are politics involved in the confirmation proceedings? 
absolutely 100%. involved, 100%. They involved have. in the confirmation. Because it's a confirmation, because it's a confirmation proceeding from a bicameral house that's elected by a two-party system. No, it's a, no. I wouldn't say it's even always if they been. Do you know even how? Do you know, Chris, how uh, the vote total was for RBG in her confirmation? RBG, who was was the general counsel for the ACLU, no liberal. Do you know what her vote totals were? I want to say it was like 98-0 or something like that. Exactly. Uh, 98-97, uh, near unanimous, if not unanimous. Right. That was like, not People just weren't there. Oh, no. It was a, 90, a 96-3 vote was her, okay. was her thing. Okay. Uh, thank you, Google. Um, yep. Again, so, thank you, Google. Yeah. It, but I, yeah, I agree with you. It, it did start to be politicized, I think, back with Judge Bork. But then that's only when I started paying attention. Maybe it was politicized but before that, actually, during my class in Marbury v. Madison. I teach this class over how that decision was born of blatant political maneuvering. Right. And so politics have been involved with the court for over 200 years. But nonetheless, Since I get the court your was point. was created. Right. right, the like they removed a justice so Thomas Jefferson couldn't put justices on the Supreme Court. That is, like, that is right. We're going back to Hamilton days. Well, like, hold, we're, on. hold on a second, there we got we got to back up. So yeah, they um, okay. they removed the number of justices. Uh, John Adams and that Congress did. They removed yep. them from six to five. There were six right. current justices. They limited it to five because that would um, mean that the next president. Uh, Tom Jefferson would not PJ. be able to re- appoint the replacement. So you're right. That was the uh, anti-court packing plan of right. 1803, uh, 1800, 1800, 1800. Yeah. So, Hey, we're going way back in our, in our history days. So the, the, whether or not the court is legitimate now, I, I think it's more of the apparent legitimacy. I think the court has somewhat always been political in my history. When you got to Robert Bork, it became blatantly politicized, the whole confirmation process, how they, they were very afraid of his rulings when it came to pro-life issues. And so they borked him. They invented right. the verb borked. And, him, and yep. so since then, it's been just a display of raw political power. And Always has. And will it? Will this? Is this the natural end of that raw political power of let's just up the number of justices when we are in power to whatever number we can? Uh, is, is that what you're suggesting? I am not suggesting that. I'm suggesting quite the opposite, Joel. As we discussed earlier, I want to reduce the number of justices on the Supreme Court. I want to take it back down to seven and see how well that plays with everybody's opinion. Like, I don't know. In, in reality, right, I would like to see a reduction in the number of justices. That's a serious discussion that I would have about, uh, you know, court packing and bringing it down. But do I think that adding more Supreme Court justices is going to help the current situations that we're in right now? Absolutely not. It, it won't matter if you get to uh, 11, 15, 400. It's not going to matter. What matters is that we keep electing jack wagons to Congress that make these idiotic laws that they know are illegal and punt their responsibilities to the Supreme Court. Yes, they, they do that and, quite often. In fact, they came up and in that's a recent the problem. It came up in a recent case of the Supreme Court. Uh, I believe it was Obamacare three, where um, right. the, uh, the Chief Justice John Roberts even asked the lawyer. What do you think about Judge Posner's comments below that it's the court's job to fix and update outdated legislation? In other words, you know, Congress passed this law, had no idea what they were doing or how to fix it, so they just decided amongst themselves, 
yeah, we'll let the courts figure it out. And it definitely goes mm-hmm. on quite a bit. Uh, hey, court packing, uh, it seems like this is in a in disarray. And so probably the outcome then from this will be nothing. I think Biden is very much opposed no. to it. That's what he wants to come from. This is just simply, hey, let's just keep winning elections and we can appoint our own justices uh, on the court. And um, I don't know if the court go on. One of, well, one of the big things that a lot of people have made reference to and in the report is term limits for justices. OK, what do you think and, about that? Well, I think it de- and it depends on the number of years. Right. If you did a justice term limit of anything less than 20 years, I think that's playing way too much political game. Right. If you could do a term limit within a presidential term, that is hugely political. So you could have right. eight years as a as a pres and your VP can get elected for eight years. You should put a justice away from being able to be touched by directly the person that appointed him or the person who was also in office at the time they were appointed. Right. So you put right, it so, if you so push, far, right? Put it, put it so far in the future that one, look, Ruth Bader Ginsburg held on to the court because she viewed it, um, and she she's on the record many times in this discussion. She viewed it as her saving democracy. She couldn't retire because right. she was afraid of the judge that Trump would appoint. Now that's political football, and we know that, but. Why are we putting people in this position to where we're pinning the idea of saving America on an 87-year-old Jewish woman who's super frail? Right, right. Like, if you have a system set up to where you know that Justice Thomas is going to serve 25 years and then he's done, maybe Justice Thomas wouldn't be quiet for 20 years. Right, right. Yeah, it, it would have to be, um, like I said, the, the term limits would have to be long enough. They would take it out of any current administration. And that way, I guess, when there was an election before that term ran up, people would know about it and they would vote accordingly. Now, I do right. want to say for the record that if you did have term limits, this would have to be something that would require a constitutional amendment. This could not be 100%. passed by this Congress because in the no. Constitution, Article 3 justices get life tenure, and so right. it would have to be a constitutional amendment. This Congress cannot change that uh, right. yeah, just because they passed a law. Very right. interesting when it comes down to, to court packing. A lot of different options are on the table. Uh, I, I guess would also th- like to see that as a check and balance to that also is that you term – and this is off topic. I get it. That you term limit Congress as well so that way the same Congress members aren't voting on the same ju- – like they don't keep getting to vote on that justice to put them back in. Interesting. Hey, while we're talking about term limits, let's go ahead and add it for Congress. You know what? Uh, I think a lot of people would agree with that. Uh, I know I'm not necessarily opposed to term limits. I do want them to be in there long enough so that when they know what they're doing, they can make good informed decisions. We don't have upheaval every couple of years, but still on the flip side. Yeah, let's get some fresh blood in there uh, every so often. Who who are the biggest and. You know, Joel and I are, are are politically opposed on a lot of issues, but we can both agree that the biggest problems in both of the major parties are the people that have been there for the longest time. It, it seems that way. It seems like when you're in Washington, your only job, your only concern is re-election, and that seems to dictate right. everything that you do. It would be nice to see people not have the pressure of re-election and then see how they would rule on matters. Very. Uh, we'll, we'll stay attuned to, to court right. packing. You are in favor of court redacting instead of court packing. I don't know if that's the right word for that. I'm sure it's not. Sure. But nonetheless, sure. let's move on now to another topic that is is in the news of late. And this is going to be our segue 
case of talking about courtroom quarterbacking issues. For sure, for sure. And that is vaccinations. Now, vaccines are in the the news of late. This past week, Washington State, uh, the University of Washington State, fired its football coach, Nick Rolovich, and four assistants for not getting the vaccine. Now, this comes on the heels of Southwest, which is one of the biggest PR blunders I think I I know of in recent history. Saying that they had canceled, oh, what, 1,000, 2,000 flights due to weather that for some reason... This weather pattern only affected Southwest flights, but did not affect Delta or American Airlines or United in those same cities. Only Southwest flights. No one was buying it. So Southwest, why did you lie and lose face and lose credibility? But nonetheless, they had to cancel thousands of flights. There's reports of nurses and frontline workers. Uh, cops ha- are, are, are going to be fired, uh, be forced off the job for not receiving the vaccinations. Chris, what's going on here? Well, people are, they're drawing lines in the sand, Joel. They are, they are sticking up for what they think they believe in. And it's, it's kind of fun and it's kind of sad all at the same time. Why do you, what, um, what do you, what do you mean by that? Well, I love watching people who look, I believe the vaccine is safe. I believe that the vaccine works. I believe that the, that we're at a point in time where people should be getting vaccinated. I am, I am fully vaccinated. I think it is important that people get vaccinated. I think it's important, not just for your individual safety, but as we all want to get back to normal life, that's going to come through vaccinations and being able to go out there. And I know that people are going to straight up disagree with me about it. And honestly, I, I'm at the point where I don't really care if they disagree with me about it. This is my, this is the way I'm doing it and we're going to roll with it. I think the rollout and the way that it's been purported is, you know, the way that people or companies are, are going about doing it is horrible because in, and you and I talked about this previous to this, the, the Biden mandate is companies that are a hundred or more, which Southwest clearly falls into. You either have to get the jab or you have to be tested at least once a week. And there's some confusion. So I went back to the executive order that he put out that he gave to OSHA and that's it. hundred people or more have to be vaccinated or tested once a week. These companies now are picking it up going mandatory vaccination. Everybody has to be vaccination. If you're not vaccinated, you're fired. Now, Military and police force are treated different. They always have been. They have special rules that apply to them. So we can carve out a discussion about military and police officers and conscientious objectors and things to that effect. But for the private sector, it's either pay for testing once a week for all your employees who are unvaccinated or getting vaccinated. And the private sector has found that it's just cheaper to vaccinate or fire. And so they're coming out with vaccine or fire. And, then going, no, 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 it's Biden's fault. It's Biden's fault that you're doing this. And I'm like, look, guys, Biden's order, we can have this discussion if it's government overreach. I love to have this discussion because government being involved in business is a big issue that a lot of people have about freedom and my business and the government shouldn't be in business and the invisible hand of the market. Let's have that discussion. But companies now are saying vaccine or fired and they're going, it's Biden's fault. When in truth, they're just looking at their bottom line. It's cheaper to fire and rehire, or they thought it would be cheaper to fire and hire people but now you're seeing southwest which changed their vaccine policy because 
hundreds of workers walked out and they had to cancel thousands of flights. Man, that's a huge black eye. I know I was a big Southwest right. supporter before that. And now I'm thinking, mm-hmm. can I even trust them now that I have Delta. a flight with them in a couple of weeks? Are they going to even be able to uh, honor right. that commitment to fly me from one location to the next? I have serious doubts about Southwest's ability to do that, especially yeah. if they made the decision, as you pointed out, to take the Biden mandate that says vaccinate or test negative every week to say mm-hmm. you got to get the jab or you're fired well right. southwest that's on you then you can't pass the buck why are you doing that when you could just simply be doing testing and reach right. the same objective all right it's I more back, expensive it's more expensive to test I, I do want to back up here a little bit. Do it. Just, hit it. Hit it back. Let's do it. I do think it's a worthy discussion in america to have this discussion at this point what isn't a certain of our allure of freedom? We, we like freedom. We value freedom. Mm-hmm. At a certain level, doesn't that mean freedom from the government jabbing me and injecting me with foreign substances? I mean, at a certain level, I think it's almost common sense. And here you've got these governmental mandates. Some are coming from the Biden administration. Some are coming from different state governments, like over right. in Washington state. Or California um, school, the mandatory vaccination for school kids in California. Right. Requiring you to get the jab, inject a foreign substance into your body, or you can't be employed. To me, you might be saying, well, Joel, that's not what it means. It just means I'm not going to employ you. Well, right. sometimes I'm not sure that's the right answer. If it's a state government, that's the employer. Uh, but nonetheless, what are your thoughts about at a certain level, freedom should mean I don't want you injecting a foreign substance into my body. I, and I get that. But as you are free to not have that injected into your body as terms of your employment, they're free not to employ you. Because of that. Now, if you are saying that if I don't get the vaccination, I'm not allowed to leave my house. I'm not allowed to attend a restaurant. I'm not allowed. Like uh, the police are going to, you know, hold me in my house. I think that's a very different way of of looking at it when you're saying, oh, I can't be employed because I won't right. take the vaccine. Like, or or I won't get tested. But let's just say vac- you have to have a vaccine to work here. You're right. This is a free market economy. Even with the employer being the, the government, you don't, as an American citizen, I don't have to work for you. Right. You get a job somewhere I, else. Right. This isn't, this legitimately isn't a, this isn't Venezuela where everything is owned by the government and the government hands you a job at 18. You don't have to go be a investigator for the state of Arizona. You don't have to be a, um, a lawyer in the legislature. You don't have to be a governor. You don't have to do this. It's not incumbent upon you. And in most times, let's be honest, state jobs pay worse than private sector jobs. Right. So maybe we're just saving you from having a crappy job. And then you can go work for Southwest where then right. they can fire you. Uh, they can fire <laughs> Right. Yeah, I no, think it, it's, it's a hard line to roll because I do believe in freedom. Like, I don't want people to think that I'm all in on the vaccine and that everybody should be vaccinated, whether it's for your will or against your will. I'm there with you. That is not where I'm at. But I'm also of the mind that, look, certain doors are going to close for you if you don't get this vaccine. And if the, the door isn't life, liberty, or property, which I don't think that not being able to work is a, is a liberty because most states are right to work states or, are, um, um, why can't I think of the phrase right now where you at will employment. Okay. So Liberty doesn't fall under the right to work. Then 
you you're kind of SOL. You have no leg right. to stand on other than being angry, which I totally get on a whole different level. You have worked for the IRS your entire life. They're the main employer in, you know, Logan, Utah, and they're the only place where you can get a living wage. And now you can't work there because you're against the vaccine. And now you've lost your job. Right. I feel for you. I do. I, I do think you have a legal anal- leg to stand on. I do want to analyze the, um, the the legal exemptions. Are there available legal exemptions yes. to to people? Now, uh, yes. I, I've full disclosure. I have litigated in this context back in the early two yes. thousands. Uh, I let I litigated several vaccine cases. This is well before the pandemic, of course. Uh, right. and, and so I'm very familiar with religious exemptions. So I want to just focus on that here just for a bit. Here is a problem when it comes to litigating religious exemptions. Many employers and the government thinks that in order to be entitled to religious exemption from vaccines, that you have to have a religious belief like the Christian scientist. And I've even been Mm -hmm. told that by several government officials, like, no, your client can't get the exemption because you can't point to a tenet of your faith that says thou shalt not be immunized. To which our response was, you don't understand how religious beliefs work. You can't pick and choose between different religious beliefs you want to afford constitutional protection to. You can't require us to belong to the Christian scientist church to receive the exemption. And how I've characterized it to certain government officials, and I think it applies in this vaccine context, is this. It's the Jonah uh, effect. Are you familiar with the story of Jonah in the Bible? Jonah and the whale? Yes. So why was he in the whale? He was in the whale because he was trying to not go to Nineveh. So he'd not go to Nineveh. I think we all would agree if you're a biblical scholar or just a casual listener of children's religious stories, that his decision not to go to Nineveh was a violation of God's command on his life. We call that a sin. Uh, And so, but there is no Bible passage. There's no tenet of a faith that says thou shalt go to Nineveh. Instead, it's just simply, this was God's calling on Jonah's life. And he refused to obey that calling. That application of I, God has a calling on my life. And I refuse to follow that is the same thing we're talking about here with these vaccinations. That would be the religious belief in question. And if you have trouble analyzing Mm -hmm. that concept, just think of Jonah's situation and the same principle would uh, apply here. That's a great analogy. It's a great way to teach it, man. It's, you know, um, I'm a, I'm a member of the church of Jesus Christ, of Latter-day Saints, also known as Mormons. And there's a phrase that we use often that says we don't have to be commanded in all things. Right. And so, you know, you could be a good Christian and not have to be commanded to do so by God. That's the point. And this is, I guess we're going into religious theology, but that's also the point of having agency and being able to make your own decisions. Yes. And so you would, I assume, agree in the the, the teachings uh, of your church that uh, in Jonah's situation, when Jonah refused to follow what he believed was a clear command from God, that was not good. I would say that, would, that was not kosher, but that's obviously confusing religious th- things here. I don't want to do that. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, it's a, it's a, I think that's how these cases are going to be litigated. Now, I will right. say the problem with litigating these cases is you're, you're in the middle of a global pandemic. That right. argument might work outside of a global pandemic when we're inside of a global pandemic and mass numbers mean something. Well, that's going to be a lot uh, tougher road to, to hoe here.
that is our segue here to move over to courtroom quarterback and talk a little football. Are you ready to talk some it. football? I love me some talking about football. All right, Sean, go ahead and hit it. All right, that is our intro music because we're here to talk football. We've got to have a little bit of rock music playing. You know, Chris, I wanted to re- revisit, before we uh, unhash some of the bigger talking points from last week's games, I wanted to revisit our discussion we had last week because I got to tell you, Chris, after we talked about the best coaches of all time, I probably thought about it for another three days afterwards. I could not I get that did. out of my mind. Did you do that as well? Same thing. I started thinking about all the guys that we didn't mention that were great quarterbacks um, that were great quarterbacks of their time, but may not be great quarterbacks. Oh, I mean, I just coaches. thought of a whole series of like court of quarterbacks we could go into. Right, right, right. Or, so or, you're sorry, talking coaches, about coaches, coaches best coaches of so all just, time. Coaches, yeah. Yeah. And so I want to rehash that here just a little bit. And I want to hear what you're saying is, is who did we leave out? But I think to be fair to our listeners, we got to give a little bit more attention as to why Coach Bilchek was not on that list. Because most lists that I saw out there had him number one. And so how could they mm-hmm. all say he's number one? And you and I are both in agreement he does not deserve to be on that list. So the lists, they don't account for character. Okay. <laughs> And I think that's and that and I think that's both where you and I live. You know, we love Andy Reid because he's a great coach, but he's a good man. Right. We like you know, we like we don't like the villains in the story. We don't want to we don't want people and we mentioned this, right? We want people to look at sports stars and be like that's some of the best our society can put forward. They are the they are the pinnacle of athletic prowess akin to Greek gladiators would be a good way to look right. at it. We don't like the guys that, and we get angry. We talked about this. We talked about the guys that beat their wives or they, they have stupid gambling debts or they take advantage of women or they do all these things. We don't like villains. I don't, I don't in, want to root for them. Right. And I look at Bill Belichick like, yeah, he's a good coach, but he treats people like absolute crap. He doesn't. Good point. And, and we can talk about the, uh, uh, what are they, they called it? Um, Spygate, right? Right. When he was when he was recording the the uh, Jets defensive coordinator, like that alone automatically should disqualify him from the best ever. Because w- if we put someone saying they're the best in their game, we say that there are no consequences for when they do things that are horrible. Right. It is now, the what have you come from or what have you done for me lately complex. And both you and I agree. We don't like that. That's ridiculous. Now, Chris, I want to focus on that uh, for just a bit here. You are absolutely right. This is Bilicek. Coach Bilicek, Coach Hoodie, is a proven and a caught cheater. And, right. I, I, and on multiple occasions. And when you are caught cheating a few times, those weren't the only times you were cheating. If those right. were the times you were caught, you're probably doing it quite a lot and so it's hard for me to put him number one when he is a proven and a caught a cheater chris i also think it's problematic because he has only won he's only been successful with one quarterback and i I just have a problem with that how can he be deemed the best coach of all time without question when he has had at least two or three other opportunities to be successful with other quarterbacks and he has failed right and it, it tells me that, 
you're not the greatest. Like, look at the look at the greatest coaches that we talked about, right? We talked about Shula last week. He won with multiple different sets of teams over his career. Yes. Bill Belichick has won with a set of teams. And it, it is heroic in this day and age that he got to keep a quarterback for almost 20 years. That is good. But the minute that that wonder boy left, your whole program fell apart. So that it tells did. me you don't know how to develop players. It did. You, he has you yet to develop. Things. Yeah, you're not. You have the cohesive nature of Urban Meyer. Right. So you, sir, you know, don't have the ability to be considered the best of the best of the best, period. You just have a good winning record. That's all yes. you got. He was not successful in Cleveland with the Cleveland Browns and Bernie Kosar. He has nope. not been successful in New England after Tom Brady. So nope. I just have a hard time putting him at number one when he's only one with one quarterback. So don't give me, oh, but look at the number of Super Bowls he's won when, one, he is a proven and caught cheater, and number two, he has yet to win a single Super Bowl or probably even make a single postseason Without a Tom Brady as his a quarterback, and right. so the verdict is still out with him. All right, who else did you have that you would have put on the list of greatest coaches? Now, I'm not saying the best coach, but who did we leave out last week? Bill Walsh. Bill Walsh. All right. Bill Walsh. I, I mean, that that's 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 my love, right? Bill Walsh, that was my childhood. Yes. Um, and I and of course I would not put him at number one. I don't think Bill Walsh is number one. But my love of football stems from Bill Walsh's ten years with the Niners, his right. four Super four, four five Super Bowls, four Super three, Bowls, three, three Super sorry. Bowls. Sorry, no, no, you're right. Three <laughs> Super Bowls with with the Niners. Yep. It stems, you know, a lot of. Oh, that's right, because uh, George Seifert rolled up after Bill Walsh. Yeah. Right. But I, I, I think of, you know, when I think football, it's, it's, it's 49ers. It's the 1980s 49ers. That's, that's what I think. Anytime someone says football to me, I immediately go to the 1980 49ers. But I, I think of guys like Bill Walsh that built up a championship dynasty from nothing. Yes. He and, is given the credit of, of revolutionizing come, the game of football by mm-hmm. – I mean, it really was his West Coast offense. I think he started that West Coast offense at Stanford and then brought it to the NFL. Right. And that really is – we see that still is the, the, you know, the way of our offenses today even. Uh, and so right. that's a huge advancement in football and offense, and that's um, Coach Bill Walsh. Right, and we also never – and we didn't talk about John Madden. John I would put Madden. John Madden on a list long before I'd put Bill Belichick on the list. Okay, I'll give you that much. Yeah, I can't stand better the hoodie, but but John right. Madden. Right. Why would you put John Madden on this list? Did you not know that he was a coach of the Raiders? He was. I mean, he he coached the Raiders for a hot minute. I want to say 10 years, right? He won a championship while he was right. with the Raiders. But John Madden had a way of explaining the game that made people understand, even if it was their first day there. John right. Madden could connect with players, right? He wasn't the winningest coach of all time. He wasn't he wasn't the greatest anything. He was a great announcer. I, I still have my Maddenisms. But you look at John Madden, and John Madden is the face of football for my generation. The 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 nineteen eighty born babies from his coaching with the Raiders, which ended long before any of us were born, but 
you know, his, how to player develop, what to player develop, what do you look for in a player? All of those things come, have, have influenced the game of football. The, the Madden video game franchise is a whole different beast that we could talk about. Madden also was, he was a good guy. Like he, he wasn't, I mean, he definitely wasn't John Gruden or Al Davis. Right. Oh, definitely. Yeah. And, um, he had, like I said, he had Madden, the game named after him, so you gotta give him right. credit for that. And I've actually won some games on Madden, so that has to say something, I guess. <laughs> I, I think, don't know. I, I think it's because and I also think that Jod Madden was the one who revolutionized playbooks. How plays were called, audibles, okay. power to quarterbacks, right? John Madden gave a lot of power to his quarterbacks over years to call the things from the line. He created that at that trust relationship that we still use to this day. And so I don't think I don't think he's number one. Don't get me wrong. I don't think John Madden's number right, one. But I think that if we don't bring him up in a discussion of the greatest quarterbacks, it's it's limiting us to saying the only way you're a great quarterback is if you have rings on your finger. I get what you're saying. You're saying we had a conversation about the greatest coaches of all time. We right. should at least give some mention to the coach of the Raiders because he was dealing with such a horrible, crappy team like the Raiders. The right. fact he was successful Worst should give him effort. extra points. I am a Chiefs <laughs> fan. I can't stand the Raiders, so I will give you that point. He at least achieved a modicum of success by right. coaching that treacherous a team. All right, right. Well, let's end this conversation about coaching by having you demonstrate how good of a coach you might be. Uh, I want to take you to a hypothetical situation that's not quite so hypothetical. All right, let's say you uh, it's Titans v. Bills, and and you, let's say that you're the coach of the um, the Bills. It's fourth down and one. All right, you got fourth down and one. You got one yard to go for for a first down. The ball is at the three-yard line. 20 seconds are left in the game, and you are down by three. You, you got okay. the scenario? Field goal would tie it. Got it. You're at the, you it. only have one yard to go for a first down. Right. Uh, scores 34-31. What do you do? Do you, one, kick a field goal, tie the game, and send it to overtime? Now, granted, it is 34-31, so that means the defenses aren't too stellar this game. And, right. uh, you know, the first team that possesses the ball in overtime could win the game. Uh, or do you go for a first down and, and run a play? You only have 20 seconds left, though you do have timeouts. Uh, Chris, I'm going to put you on the line here. You're, you're a future coach. I think you have some I'll resemblance so. to, uh, I won't say Andy Reid, uh, but nonetheless. Um, <laughs> I have a lot of resemblance to Andy Reid. <laughs> I'm telling you. Did I? For, side note, that's what I'm going for for Halloween this year is Andy Reid. All right. I like it. Yep. You'll get lots so, of candy. I'm going to send you pictures. Sweet. What do you do? What, what do you do? What, what's your play call? My legit play call is kick the field goal, go into overtime. Oh, uh, um, you're a coward. I got it. I'm not a coward. I'm calculating at this point, right? Okay. You're pl- you're playing the Titans. Titans aren't exactly. Look, this isn't the idea of where you're going to have a Tom Brady moment where you move the, you move the football down the field and, and whatever you're right. The defenses aren't doing great, but they're holding a little bit to the point where they're not letting the score get super ran up watching that game there. It was, it was pretty decent because the offenses weren't doing, you know, as well as either, but I look at it this way. You're Buffalo bills. You are, you're coming into this game. You're four and one, you're riding high. You take the easy shot, you put it in, you get the points and then you learn to live another day. The bills are not great under pressure. So give know that about your team. Know that you're not good under pressure. Kick the field goal, work your system, and go with it. The Titans. Interesting. 
I think the Titans are just praying that the Bills go for it because they know that the Bills aren't good under pressure. Now, if it was two different teams, I would never, ever, ever, if it was 31, if it was Tampa Bay 31 and it was Tennessee 34, and or work that around however you want to do it. But if I knew that Tom Brady was going to get the ball again, I would right. do everything I could to win the game. If I knew I gotcha. Aaron Rodgers was going to get the ball, or if I knew Patrick Mahomes was going to get the ball, right. I'm doing everything I can to win the game right there, and I'm going to gotcha. gamble and take that. But it's gotcha. the Bills and the Titans. So in other words, the, the Titans are going to get the ball again, let's just say in overtime, and they um, if they win the coin flip, yes, they have right. Travis Henry, and yes, they, he's a beast, but you also right. can stop this beast, and you can force their quarterback, who's not Patrick Mahomes, who's not Tom Brady, to throw right. and win the game before them. And so you can do that as an offensive or as a defensive unit. Um, right. So you would go for the win in that scenario. I like that analysis. I think what this coach did was make one of the huge blunders. I just hate it when coaches do. Not only did he go for it here, which I don't necessarily have a problem with, it's it's the the play that he called. A run Mm -hmm. up the middle by the quarterback. Why would you do that, Chris? I I cannot stand it when they call that play for my team, the Chiefs, or actually two weeks ago, Nebraska called that against Michigan. It's like so many things can happen wrong, but when the defense knows you're going to run the ball up the middle and they're all geared to stop it, nine times out of ten, they stuff that play. But do you know what does work? The fake to the outside. Because then someone is wide open, and yes, you got to make a pass. you got to complete the pass. But at least there's a little bit of trickery there, and it's a low risk. And if no one covers on that side, the quarterback can always run it in, which is one of my big problems with the run of the ball up the middle scenario. Chris, you only have one option on that play. It's run the ball. It's not like you're going to you know, jab in and jab back out and see where the opening is. Right. No, once you run up the middle, you are committed, and that's the entire play. Whereas right. if you run to the outside, you do a rollout, well, if it's open, you can run it in. If right. the deep, if your if your tight end is there in the back of the end zone, wide open, you can throw it. If everything is covered, you can scramble like heck and hope for a penalty, something like options. that. Create At least you have options. options. Run the ball to the middle. You are relying on your running back. You're relying on a defense that knows what you are doing. That's geared to stop that run. I hate that call. I hate it. I cannot say it enough times. It is a horrible, horrible play call. And watch, we'll win the Super Bowl on that play call this year. Right. <laughs> it doesn't matter if you win the Super Bowl on it. Still a horrible play call. I that doesn't change the nature of how bad the play call is, even if it works one or two of the. I hate when coaches do that. Like, let's gamble. It worked for us in the past. Right. No, just because it worked for you in the past doesn't mean it's tried and true you do layups every time before the game because those are tried and true ways to make points you don't shoot half court shots at every game because those aren't tried and true ways you make one out of 40 it doesn't work that way fundamental football people let's do this all right well let's go now to our segment where we're trying to teach the young kids to (laughs) not not waste their money and gamble and right now chris i gotta tell you i'm doing a horrible job at that last week I was four and one. So my record now is 20, 10, and one. I am on a hot streak, folks. Oh. If you are not betting your money on my picks, you are an idiot. Uh, I am now, I started with $500. I'm now up to $600. You do the math on that Ooh. in six weeks. I am now up 
tw over 20%. And so, Chris, you're uh, nope. you're 17 and 13. You still have a winning record. You're nope. at $540. So you're not doing too bad as well. Though I might be a little bit cautious in um, betting my money on your picks this week. Hey, no, you know oh, what? For sure. Take that back. No, you are you're due this week. All right. That being said, <laughs> let's start off with this game. And then I want to get your picks. I want to start off with the homecoming game. I find this game fascinating. This is in your, your favorite team or one of your favorite teams, the yep, Rams versus the lions. Now this game right. fascinates me for several different reasons. One, the point spread of this game, which is I believe ridiculous. is 15. 15 points yes. for the Rams. The Rams are favored by 15. But the reason why I find this game fascinating, Chris, is this reason. This is a homecoming for the two quarterbacks. The quarterback for the Rams, Matthew yep. Stafford, was the quarterback for the Lions for his entire career. The quarterback yep. for the Lions is Goff, who was the quarterback for the Rams for his entire career. Entire career, yeah. And Chris, this got me thinking. How many quarterbacks have struggled with a team and just been average with that team, left that team, and then became a Super Bowl-winning quarterback. Uh, and so that got me thinking. I have one person I want to throw by you, Drew Brees. You may, I assume you, you know Drew Brees. Do you I, remember? The name, the name sounds familiar. Yes, I believe he was a quarterback for Purdue, and he yep. was drafted by the Chargers. And uh, he had a, a, an okay career there for the Chargers, yeah, but not, not great, so but... great that after the, I think it's either on year five or after year five, they said, you know what? We don't need you anymore. They let him go. And he went to the Saints where he then became a Hall of Fame quarterback. And many consider, some consider the best of all time or one of the best of all time. Chris, how do you go from a mediocre quarterback where we're going to drop you after five years to one of the best of all time was the coaching staff of the Chargers that bad? Do they underuse him? And more importantly, how many other quarterbacks fit that bill? And might one of these two quarterbacks, Matthew Stafford or Mike Goff, fit that book bill? I will shut up now and listen to your thoughts. <laughs> so it's the program. It is the pro because you can have on the flip side to that, you can have amazing quarterbacks that get nowhere. Right. Okay. You got Dan Marino, amazing quarterback. The program didn't get him anywhere near the playoffs. You look at, uh, and we talked about this guy beforehand. Um, Denver Broncos. Why can't I think of his name right now? John Elway. John Elway. I wanted to say John Denver, but that wasn't the right name. <laughs> hey, hey. <laughs> but that John Elway, sense, right? He played. He played with Denver for for a millennium, and it was only until they got good coaches and a good program. Did he start winning rings? I believe he it, went to three Super Bowls with his previous coach and uh, got blown out of all three, all three of them, then got a good coach and a great running back uh, Davis. And yep. he won two Super Bowls. Right. So I think it, it, and again, this is why I look at guys like Bill Belichick and say, you are a crappy coach because you don't create, you don't create this world where people can be interchangeably successful, right? right? If you, it is the program that makes you successful because the guy that I'm thinking of is Steve Young, right? Yeah, he played two years, played two years with the Buccaneers and substandard, man. He, he threw more interceptions than he did touchdown passes in those two years with the Bucs. The Buccaneers, mind you, 
right? Up until Tom Brady and maybe some early times in the early 2000s, the Buccaneers weren't exactly like the greatest team in the right, NFL. Right. They were a laughing. They, they actually refer to the years from 1983 to 1996 in the Tampa Bay um, organization as the dark ages. Okay. So... Like during this time, Steve Young was the quarterback of the Buccaneers during the Dark Ages. Well, they traded Steve Young over to uh, San Francisco, and the rest is history. He understudied under Joe Montana for three years, got into the system with George Seifert, and um, really came out swinging and took San Francisco to two more championship games. So how two many? More rings. How many quarterbacks are just average? And to your point, Steve Young, probably right. even below average on, on their current team. Right. And then they switch teams and become one of the best of all time. That is a fascinating study. We've already mentioned two quarterbacks, Drew Brees and Steve Young. Chris, I wonder how many other quarterbacks out there fit that mold. But more importantly, here's what I'm curious about. How many do we not know about because they right. never switch teams? Right. Never switch teams. Or maybe they got injured early on. Right. right, like, I but that's football, isn't it? So isn't we'll, that football? It is football. We will find out this this come around. Matthew Stafford. A lot of people say, "Oh, Matthew Stafford, right. one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time." I mean, talents, uh, you know, we, of our generation, an amazing talent. And I'm thinking, I don't see it. I don't see the results there in Denver. Why well, they're not winning? Well, you know what? He's now switched teams. And so we're going to find out this year if he is going to follow in the mold of, of a Steve Young or a Drew Brees and become one of the best of all time. Uh, maybe win a Super Bowl, or will he continue with his uh, Detroit Lion ways? Hey, did you pick this game this weekend? I actually didn't. I you felt did it, was, okay. I, it was too easy of a pick for me. I want, some, I want some. I want some. I want some excitement in my picks. I want people to come back to see if I actually am, am good in my picks or not. All right. Well, the, I am to me, this to is put, the throwaway pick. This is a no, throwaway no, I'm, pick I'm, because I'm the my Rams name, are going to win. I'm Go. putting my name on the line here. I am putting my name on the line here. I know Tell you me just Detroit's said it's a throwaway. Look I me dead am, in the eye and say Detroit's going to win. <laughs> Detroit is going to cover. It's a 15-point spread. Here's my thought. Here's my thought. Of course, Detroit's not going to win, but right. this is a homecoming game. Surely, okay, I'm in with this. The, uh, the homecoming kind of atmosphere, both teams are going to be riled up. Surely, this is not going to be a blowout kind of game of uh, where once I get throttled, it, it very well might be. I don't know. Uh, but my heart says, you know what, 15 points, that's way too, uh, that's too much. Hey, it worked for me last week. I don't know if you remember last week, I said, hey, that Ole Miss-Tennessee uh, game, at 82 yeah, yeah, yeah. and a half points, that's way too big. It caught my attention. I'm going the under. I won that bet by like 20 points, and so I'm doing the same thing here. This is almost too big of a line. Right. I'm going with the Lions to cover the 15-point spread. All right, well, since that's we're a, on my yeah, picks, bet. let me give you my other picks as well. Browns versus Broncos. That's going to be the Thursday game. By the time this mm -hmm. airs, this will already be out. This will be decided. The Browns are favored by three and a half. I'm taking the Browns. This is a statement game. This right. is a validation yeah. game. Yeah. It's, I'm, I'm going to take the Browns. Uh, Mayfield is having is struggling now with this commercial making. He's doing great with his commercials. No, he's doing crates with commercials and the ladies. A, 
he's nailing that uh but he's married but nonetheless he, um, <laughs> we're not starting any ugly rumors here baker no. mayfield but yeah he's apparently a, a looker i guess i don't know but nonetheless uh i'm gonna pick the browns i think the broncos right. are a fraud uh they're both three and three which they both seem to be going downhill i think the right. browns are gonna straighten that out and blow the broncos out i'm gonna take browns uh minus the three and a half chiefs titans Here's the deal. The over-under in this game Love is this. 56 and a half. I, I so badly wanted to take the under. I, I could not do it. I, I do know what's going to happen here. The Chiefs are going to start off on a tear. They are going to score mm-hmm. like you would not believe. Their offense is going to be on fire. Finally, um, Tyree Kills is going to learn what to do <laughs> when the ball hits him in the hands. He's going to catch it this week and not just give it over to the defender. So I think we're going to open up maybe a 21-point lead. And then Travis Henry is going to take over. Uh, and I, it's, it sounds kind of weird. They'll have a huge lead and Henry takes over, but that's what's going to happen. And Detroit or the Titans are going to catch the Chiefs up and uh, they're not going to beat us. But man, it's going to be a high scoring game. It's going to be a high scoring affair. I think both teams will be in the 30s, if not 40s. I'm picking the over on 56 and a half. All right, Patriots. I love that. Patriots uh, are a seven-point favorite over the Jets. I just think the Jets are absolutely horrendous. I think that it's about time now, even though I know I've ragged on Belichick all day here, I think they're going get to th- get it done this week. I think their quarterback is progressing every single week, and I think they will cover the seven against the Jets. That's three picks, and that's my fourth pick. My fifth pick here is Oregon versus UCLA. Uh, I don't know if you are familiar with these two teams. I like Oregon. They beat Ohio State earlier this week. A great team. Their former coach, uh, Chip, uh, is the the coach for UCLA. And and so I think that um, Oregon's going to win this. UCLA is favored by two. So I'm picking Oregon minus uh, or plus the two points. What are your picks? All right, so I'm going to do the Jets Patriots because uh, we've been watching the rookie quarterbacks most of the season, and I think that uh, the Pats are going to win. And I feel bad for Zach Wilson, man. He's such a good quarterback coming out. He's trying his hardest, but it's the Jets are going to jet. I'm going to say the Pats, though, aren't going to cover the spread. I don't think they're going to win by seven this time around, and that's where I'm going to. That's going to be my losing bet. I think they're going to win by a field goal. And watch, kids, if you're listening, take this bet. The Pats are going to blow out the Jets by like 20 points. But I, in my official bet for the podcast, I'm going to go with my gut and say they only win by a field goal. All right. I got that. I got the next one that I'm I'm picking up on, and I'm going to do the over-under, and I'm going to do the cover of the spread, is going to be the Eagles-Raiders game. Okay. Raiders are favored by three and a half. Over-under is 58.5. I think this is where the Raiders fall apart. I think that they are. I'm going to take the under, and I am still kind of torn on whether or not the Raiders are going to pull this out. All I, right, I'm, what's your pick? My pick is going to be Eagles to win. Okay, you are taking the Eagles over the Raiders. Eagles over the Raiders and the under. It's going to be well under a 58 point game. Wow! Because the Eagles large, are going to win. That is a high number. I agree with you. That's an awfully high number for the Eagles Raiders. Right. And then lastly, I got Bengals versus Ravens. Like now, that game. this one made me giggle because they don't have the Ravens winning by a touchdown. They have them winning by 6.5. Yeah. And the over under is 47. And I don't really want to touch that because 
because uh, the the Ravens quarterback could go full beast mode and he could score 47 on his own. Um, so, but I am going to pick that the Ravens are going to beat the Bengals, but they're not going to cover the spread. They are not going to win by a touchdown. They're going to win by less because the Bengals are stepping up. They are playing they're they're losing games and they're and the ones that they're winning as well but they're losing them by small margins they're winning by small margins like they are being competitive in their games so i think the ravens are going to win but they are not going to cover the spread so you're taking the Bengals plus the 6.5 even though you think right. the ravens are going to win all right right there you go. Those are our picks. We'll see how they turn out next week in our continual uh, study into the wisdom of throwing your money away. All right, Chris. Right. Hey, tell um, Biden hi for me and uh, have Will a do. great week in Washington. And we'll see you back in Arizona next week. Sounds good. Thanks, Joel. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, Please give us a five-star review. We need your love to help us continue highlighting the funnier side of the law. I want to give a special shout-out to our Vice President of Operations, Wendy Oster, without whom this entire operation would be a mess. Sean Wynn and 15.5 Features for making me sound way better than I actually do. Brooke Bolin for spreading the good word about us. And Ryan Kuhn and Paul Kuhn of Triplicity Marketing for our technical and computer support. Mm-hmm.